thank you all church uh, for the opportunity of being able to share uh, God's word with you all this morning. Um, on behalf of my uh, wife and I, uh, we have been in uh, SIB KL Sungai Buloh since about May. And uh, really, we want, really, really want to thank you for making us feel so welcome. All right. Thank you all. And, and we, found, we found another home, Father Lord, over here uh, with all of you. And uh, we pray that uh, we will continue to grow together. Okay. Before we begin uh, the uh, word this morning, let us all dedicate this time in prayer. Come, let us all pray. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father. Father, we want to thank you for this wonderful opportunity this morning. Indeed, every time, we want to thank you every time we gather together as a body of believers, Father Lord, as brothers and sisters, as your children, Father Lord, and we look into your word, Father Lord. We ask you, Lord, that this morning, Father Lord, we pray for your presence, Father Lord, the presence of the Spirit, Father Lord, and may, may all that happens this morning, Father Lord, do nothing but bring glory to your name, Father Lord, and life anew in each and every heart that is here, Father. We thank you so much. We dedicate this time to you, Father Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay, hi. Uh, for those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Rodney. I am, uh, I, uh, my wife and I have been members of SIBKL for a long, long time. From the last century, I like to say, you know. Which is correct. <laughs> okay, so uh, when uh, when when uh, many years ago, I think it was what 2014, I I went to uh, Pastor Fergus's cell at that time, uh, and we uh, and I shared about uh, Ecclesiastes. Now we're doing a series on Ecclesiastes in this church, right? And um, and I shared it because I'm one of the few people. Uh, that Pastor Chu knows that became a Christian because of Ecclesiastes. Right? <laughs> Ecclesiastes sometimes is the most down, what, most sour book in the Bible. It's very, very, very depressing. You know, how come that depressing book could cause you to accept Christ? But so I, I'm going to share with you this morning uh, a bit of my story, my journey, uh, and also where um, where I am now. Okay, in my journey. With Christ, so bear with me as I tell you a, a story. Okay, uh, it's a it's a it's a grandfather story because I am a grandfather. Okay, so all right. Okay, so this morning, uh, this morning I entitled the uh, sermon as "Work What For." I actually wanted to use the more Malaysian way to say "Work for what," you know. <laughs> if I if. <laughs> The problem was if I did that, that means I'm, am I saying don't work at all? No, 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 no that's, not, that's not what we wanted to do. So I used the Kwailo way, you know, work for what for, all right? Okay, so um, just a little bit about me. Uh, I, uh, I was very, very lucky, okay? This, this was 1985, all right? Uh, I, I was very fortunate. I was able to go to Australia to do my... Uh, to further my education at university, I went to the Australian National University in Canberra. Uh, I was very fortunate because, um, because I went there and I didn't have to pay any university fees because uh, I, was, uh, I was born in Australia. So I went there, I had basically free education. So I was very fortunate. And uh, one thing you can see from this photograph is this, okay? There is no way I can wear that pair of jeans anymore, all right? <laughs> so skinny then, all right? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, after I graduated, I, uh, I, uh, I, I managed to uh, secure a place with one of Australia's largest law firms. It's Clayton Utes. That firm has 600 lawyers. And I, work, and I got a job in the uh, Perth office of the firm on 108 St. George's Terrace. That's where the tall building is. Right? I worked there for two years in Perth. And then the Australian economy collapsed at that point in time. Although I still had a job, the firm wanted to retain me. But I decided to, taking advantage of the fact that I was an Australian uh, citizen at that time, went off to Sydney University to do uh, my master's degree uh, in business administration. Uh, and over there at that time, I specialized in international business and finance. So um, I, I finished it there. It was, about, uh, it was an 18-month course uh, in itself. And I spent half a year in Japan as a, after that as an exchange student, again, on the Australian taxpayer's dime. All right. So I came back in Mal to Malaysia in 1994. Okay? Uh, and when I, when I came back here, uh, all this is before I accepted Chrysler. Uh, I grew up in a traditional Chinese family in itself. Uh, so I didn't know Jesus, although many people had tried to share Christ with me. I was mostly very resistant. Okay? So I thought, you know, because I had, a, I had a very different attitude and outlook to life at that point in time. So when I came back in 94, having worked two years and got my master's degree, uh, I thought I was going to get a, a pretty good job. In fact, the only job I could find at that time, because they had just done a recruitment, was with Arab Malaysian Corporation, Bahad. Now, Arab Malaysian Corporation used to be a public listed company. So, uh, and they are the holding company of the entire Arab Malaysian group. That's the group, that's the company that Tan Sri Asman Hashim runs his companies from at the very top. So I had a job, I was given a, a post of uh, assistant manager then, uh, and I spent two years there, and it was there that I basically became an investment banker. I didn't go for a legal job, I didn't join a law firm. So as an investment banker there, I did a lot of deals at that time. In, in the 1990s, those, those of us who can remember, 1990s were the boom years in Malaysia. Okay? It was then when we had so much foreign direct investment. And not only that, we were, the stock market was doing extremely well. It was just doing very well. And everybody was just you know, having a party. It was like a party would never end. So all of us, yeah, it was a party and never end. I'll talk to you about the hangover after that, okay? But, <laughs> but that, time, that time, everybody was just talking about making money. You know? And you know that everybody was talking about making money when you sit in a taxi cab. The cab driver will turn to you and say, Hey, you got any stock tips? Ah? You know? When they are, it was just a crazy time of my life. Lah. I was very young. I was 28 years old. Uh, and I was doing a lot of uh, very large deals in, in Malaysia then. And then I took time off from investment banking to get myself admitted to the Malaysian bar. It was just something I wanted to do to make sure that uh, you know, if the investment banking gig fails, uh, I, can, I got something else to do. Lah, you know? So I, I was admitted to Malaysian Bar, and here's a photograph of me and my late mother uh, on my day of my admissions uh, in Malaysia. I had already been admitted in Australia, so this one was something I had to do uh, after nine months of chambering. Okay? And this is where the story gets, it, it takes a slightly different dimension. While I was chambering at that time, uh, somebody on behalf of Datuk T.H. Tan of Southern Bank had coffee with me. And uh, she said, uh, Rodney, uh, Datuk would like to uh, offer you a job, a position. 
So, um, so I asked, okay, fine. He said, here is a, blank, a piece of A4 paper, blank A4 paper. Write whatever you want in your package. Just write. I said, come. I, I, was, I thought she was joking. I said, no, write. So I wrote lah, a, a ridiculous package, lah, an absolutely ridiculous package. Right? And uh, I said, okay, uh, I'll take this back to Dato and I will, I'll come back to you. I'll get back to you. Two days later, she saw me at somewhere else and then he said, okay, I've got something to show you. She took out that A4 paper and T.H. Stein had signed on it. Okay. And that's how I ended up working for Southern Bank. Southern Bank is very small. It was one of the smaller 30 banks that time. There were 38 financial institutions in the 1990s in Malaysia. Now we've got very few, okay? But there were 38. And Southern Bank is now part of CIMB. So, and the position I was offered as head of corporate finance of a commercial bank. I was only 30 years old. Okay? I can tell you one thing. As much as that sounded really so good, nah, it made my head swell. It made my head swell because at 30 years old, when you get to sit there on senior management of the bank, all right, at 30 years old, you tend to think you must be something lah, you know, to be able to get a job like that. Right? So it really, as much as it sounds really good, it damages you as a person. All right? So warning to all the young people, don't think that success itself is really sweet. Okay? It is in some ways, but it does do things to you right, that you don't realize. Right? So at the age of 30, just before my 31st birthday, I became head of the department of the bank. And in fact, when we sat down there in the bank, uh, for the management meeting, I was the youngest guy by far. The other heads of departments were in their 40s, some in their 50s. I was only 31. And you can imagine how many friends I had. <laughs> and and, and so, so it, wasn't, it wasn't a great thing, but for me it was fantastic. I had a fantastic package and things like that. And I used to travel a lot for the bank, okay? And the rule was, Tato Tan would say, my senior managers cannot travel less than business class. If no business class, must travel first class. So I traveled a lot at that time. In my days, when I was a young, uh, I, was in, I was still doing investment banking. We were doing deals, share placements, and bond issues, and matters like that. I was doing all these things. I used to have a suitcase in my room, packed, ready at any time because my boss's secretary will come down from upstairs and say, Ronnie, here's your plane ticket, all right? Dato will meet you at KLIA tonight at seven o'clock. And I look at my watch, it's three o'clock. Uh, so I had to run and go, but it was, a, it was a crazy time. But that time reflected the go-go years of the 1990s in Malaysia, when there was so much money and so much things, so many things that were happening. Okay, so I was then, um, but I was also, and I was given the task of not just only taking care of uh, corporate finance here. Southern Bank had acquired a bank in South Africa and in Mozambique. All right, so I was also given the job of overseeing the departments over there. Yeah, so I was in, I spent a lot of time in South Africa, traveling between KL and, and South Africa. You know, for one and a half years, I got so fed up of going to KLIA. I just think. Uh, where am I? I would wake up in my bed and actually wonder, where am I? Am I in KL or am I in Johannesburg? Because we had a bank over there. Right? But all these things started to unravel because for all the go-go years, all the good things, all the fine money that was happening, there were a lot of horrible things also happening too. 
Right? Things I will not want to recount because I understand this is going to be on YouTube. All right? So I'm not going to say those things. But if, huh? No, leave it there. But on, 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 uh, all, all I can tell you is that those of us who live through it, who remember it, will know what I mean. There were good things and there were some horrible things. I was sitting there having lunch one day in Johannesburg with my colleagues. I received a phone call. All right? I received a phone call uh, on my phone. And, uh, and it was my ex-boss from Arab Malaysian. He asked me this, Rodney, where are you? Uh? He said, uh, I'm in Joburg. Are you coming back to KL? He said, yeah, I'm due to fly out tonight. All right. So he said, okay, fine, don't come back. I said, what do you mean don't come back? He said, don't come back at all. Because you see, when I was in Arab, you, see, you see, while I was in Arab Malaysia, under the odd instructions from my boss at that time, the MD of Arab Malaysia, I, I screwed up a deal. I, I actually did something which I'm not proud of. We gave a loan to a certain Tansri and we pulled it back within two weeks. And I was the one who engineered the pulling it back. During the negotiations with that certain Tansri, the Tansri had one night out of, I think out of frustration with us. He actually said, if I die, he pointed to us and said, you die, you die, you die, and you will also die. He pointed at me. I was the youngest person there. Of course, I didn't think anything about it until several years later. You see why he didn't ask me not to come back was somebody had tried to kill and assassinate the managing director of Arab Malaysia. And they thought it was that time three. If that were the case, that means I'm also on the list. That night itself, I, I, I understand later that those people who were involved, everybody got their families and left the country, including the man, man, managing director. He survived the assassination attempt by literally a hair's breath. He was in the back of his car, all right, driving along, and a, a motorcyclist came up to the side, pulled out a gun and shot and fired. In, initially, the driver thought it was a blown tire, but it wasn't. It was the glass shattered and a bullet just passed, missed him. It missed his forehead and landed in the seat to the right. Okay. He survived it and immediately he was out. He would, they were taken out of the country. All the people involved in that deal were taken out of the country and I was just told to stay in South Africa. So imagine I was still in my early 30s being told, don't come back, there may be a contract on your life. I just, I, my whole life just collapsed. I can't. I sat in my office in South Africa and my, my secretary, who is a very tall, Kosa woman, you know, uh, come, came to me and, and said, Rodney, you look pale. I said, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I, I canceled my flight. I told her to cancel my flight home. And I sat in South Africa for five days, wondering whether I could even ever come home. And I thought and I thought, I said, this is what happens when you do things that is not honest and you think you're being very smart, especially at that time, all right? So fortunately, what happened was Arab Malaysian, one of the board members was Tun Hanif, okay, the IGP, ex-IGP, and he called Bukinaman and he did an investigation and they've confirmed that it was not that Tan Sri, that Tan Sri had nothing to do with it. In fact, I met that Tan Sri four years ago and I recounted the story to him. He looked at me, he said, I never did anything like that. I said, I know Tan Sri, it was not you, okay? <laughs> It was some other business dispute that Jimmy had. So for five days, I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. I came back. But that 
coupled with all the things that I saw at that time, okay, really got me thinking about what I was doing. Okay? I, what, this is what I saw. Everybody at that time, without God in my life, what I wanted was nice cars, you know, nice cars, nice holiday, nice house, and first class travel. That's what we all thought the meaning of life was. Okay? I, had, I had all that. Yeah. But you know, it was still meaningless. It's meaningless when you realize the end of the day, somebody could put a bullet in you. That really made me count and think. Also, the other thing was also I saw during that time, and those of you who remember, is that when the Asian currency crisis hit, everything collapsed. Okay? Unemployment was rife. Countries were left poor. That is uh, uh, a photograph of Michel Kemdesu, who was the IMF chair, uh, looking at President Suharto signing the IMF deal. All currencies collapsed. Koreans were out of work. And this gentleman over there on the top was Ishak Ismail. Ishak Ismail was the head of, uh, at that time, he owned KFC and, Ra and Raman Hydraulics, okay? This public listed company. That man was arrested for securities fraud. I have been on that man's yacht for dinner. He invited us while we did a deal for him. From that point to jail time, that was what I saw. Everything just disappeared. It caused me to think very hard. So I decided that must, there must be something more to life than just chasing after the wind, all right? which was what I was doing. Just before I left Southern Bank itself, Southern Bank uh, acquired an investment banking company called Padama Merchant Bank. The board naturally wanted me to be the head of that merchant bank. When I heard that that was the case, I actually tendered my resignation. I tendered my resignation because at that point in time, for all the knowledge that I had, I could do the job. The job was not difficult. I could do it. I had all the training. But here, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it anymore because it just I get more of what I had transpired had gone. So I actually resigned. I had a phone call from Tan Sri Osman Kasim, the chairman of the bank, asking me to withdraw my resignation. I said no. I told him politely I had to go. That merchant bank today is now Hongyang Investment Bank. Okay? So I got into my car. Yes, that was I had a, one of these cars. My wife at that time had seen that. And I drove away and I left. I left because I realized there was there, this, I was just chasing emptiness. Because if rich, powerful people like Ishak Ismail can go to jail, companies all fall, people get unemployed, suicides, people were jumping off apartment blocks. What is the meaning of life? I really did. So at that time, I was dating this, uh, my ex girlfriend at that time, he was, I was dating her. And she, she basically took me, brought me to church, okay? She belonged to a very tiny church. A church was, I think, fewer than these people at that time. She brought me to church. And she basically shared with me the importance of having God in my life. At that time, I was prepared to listen and hear. So I thought, okay, what I will do is uh, I'll buy a Bible and I really cover the cover, okay? I really cover the cover. You see, at that time, I, I, was, I, I, I was unemployed, all right? You see, when I first met my, my ex-girlfriend then, uh, she told me this, you know, you see, I don't like lawyers. <laughs> I think they're too full of themselves. <laughs> so, so I thought, oh, you're how, uh, this one. <laughs> 
But nevertheless, I left. Uh, I was a banker at the time, so she thought, okay, like, bankers are fine, you know. So, so I, I left, and, uh, and this was when I was unemployed. I was unemployed for about a few months, and money wasn't a problem. So I sat down there. I said, now I'm sitting at home doing nothing. I read the Bible cover to cover. And I came to the book of Ecclesiastes. I came to that book. And this was what hit me. Okay, all right? Ecclesiastes is a reflection of King Solomon. He was the richest man in antiquity. You know, he was so wealthy and he has done everything under the sun. He has everything at that time, what wealth was, what wealth and power. He had everything. And yet in his reflection, what he wrote down hit me like somebody throwing cold water. You see, why Solomon was so wealthy was that Israel sits on the crossroads of trade between two ancient cradles of civilization, okay? Egypt and, of course, the Euphrates River in itself, Mesopotamia. And Israel sits in between. The road there is generally called the Via Maris. Right? Okay, that's a European name for it. But the route goes through Israel, and all Israel had to do was to collect toll for traders going up and down. And so they became very, very wealthy. God put them there for that incredible purpose. All right? So Solomon was as fabulously rich as he is uh, depicted in the Bible. Okay? So how did it hit me? It was Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Let me read. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors which they toil under the sun? Okay? But this generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets, hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south, turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning to its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear of its feet of its field of hearing, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Okay? I can tell you, I've seen many, many crashes, economic crashes. 97, uh, and then 2008, and then the current economic crisis now, the collapse of the crypto market, and the collapse of the stock market. Nothing is new under the sun because they keep making the same mistake all over again and again. But when I read this at that time, before, in 1999, when I read this, it, what, what struck me was the futility of what we do. And I had seen everything collapse. So the Word of God really struck me. Okay? I'm not going to read Ecclesiastes 2, but, let, but I'll start from verse 10. I denied myself nothing in my eyes desire. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for my toil. Yet when I surveyed surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had taught to achieve. Everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. That's words spoke to me because that was how I felt after spending time, after being one of the youngest investment bankers to rise so high in Kuala Lumpur. I felt that I was chasing after the wind. It was then that I realized that look, I, I have to reevaluate. And what was there before me was an evaluation of, of 
the meaninglessness of chasing things in the world. See, I, Solomon used the word under the sun as to say that this is what the world actually tells us what to do. Everything in the world, never looking up to God. This is what happens. This is all that you get if you keep looking at life under the sun and in the world. So I felt very, very empty. And at that time, what happened was uh, I, I then actually had to e re-evaluate my life, all right? and where I stood. You know, Solomon said, so I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Okay. What I, and in my evaluation of, of what I had been doing was this. You see, when we all go into the world and we all worship the things of the world, we become the center of our own universe. We become the focus of our efforts. It's about me, it's about us, you know? And then worst, the worst thing is what the world will also tell you is that you are the master of your own destiny. I still see on the internet people selling courses, people selling ideas in itself that tells you these are the six steps to actually make money on the stock market. Okay, all right? Because you are the one who control your finances, you control your destiny in itself. So it is always you, you, you. I don't know. I, 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 and I, and the, the sad thing is that I come from a generation that grew up in the 80s that actually believed in these things. Okay? In, um, how many of you all know uh, the movie starring Michael Douglas called Wall Street? Anybody knows that? Wall Street? Michael Douglas? Wall Street? Right. Okay, now I'm skipping back a bit. In, in, 19, in the 1980s, while I was at law school, a bunch of us went off to see the movie in Canberra. So all of us law students, it was me and uh, some, some of my other law student friends, Aussies and people, we all went to the cinema to watch Wall Street. And there's a particular scene, there's a particular scene where Michael Douglas stands there, his character, I think uh, Gordon Gecko, that was the name of the character, stands there and says that, you know, Greed, for want of a better word, is good. He always he said that greed is good. You know what? We actually, yeah, somebody is actually putting his hands up. <laughs> my bunch, me and my friends, we actually clapped in the cinema. We actually clapped. Why did we think that we all went to law school for? Because we wanted that sort of worldly idea. That greed is good. Fast forward many years later, I stand here and I look at what has greed done me? What is it gained? What has it gained the rich tycoons that are now facing charges? What has it gained the greed, okay, the people who in Hong Kong in the 1990s, they were selling what they call mini bonds, you know. They were basically securitizing loans and that's housing loans, okay, securitizing that and then sending out the bonds. Many of them lost their life savings on it. And quite a few killed themselves over it, committed suicide. So what is, what is greed? It's nothing. It leads to an emptiness. And so, at that, so in the 1980s mindset, looking at this, where we tell ourselves our wealth defines our position, the watch we buy, the shoes we wear, where we go, 
buy your latest shirts and things like that, all these things became important. We were pushing ourselves to make money and make even more money and more money to climb up the ladder, looking for the next promotion, looking for the next deal. And it all collapsed all right, at that time, in, 19, in the late 90s. So what did I do? Okay. I had an interesting choice after my self-evaluation. I had God standing there before me, giving me this fantastic deal. He says, very simple, okay? Believe in me and you have a new life, and you can also have a wife, all right? So I had a new life and a wife, so I took that deal, okay? And I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that was the best deal I've ever done. It still is the best, all right? Accepting Christ as my saviour and marrying my wife. In that order. And my life changed. My life changed 180 degrees. I no longer went, I no longer was interested in, uh, in uh, chasing after worldly goods. You know that red sports car, that small car, that, uh, that was Alfa Romeo 146Ti, is an Italian sports car that is so fast, so very fast, and such a nice car to drive that I once made a uh, meeting in Johor Bahru in two and a half hours from KL. Now I've just confessed that the police are going to give me a ticket. Okay, right? <laughs> was, that was a too long ago, all right? Okay. So I, it, it, was, it was those things. It was, uh, when I looked at it, when I, when I married Anna, I just looked at everything else and said, none of this have any meaning whatsoever anymore. What now has meaning is actually my life, my purpose, my relationships. I changed. I took a different tack and a different view of life. So, I've been to, we've been talking about work, okay? So far, I've been talking about work for work's sake, okay? I'm talking about work for the sake of things that we can see, we can touch, the positions, the money. And we're saying that, you know, I'm saying that that one is a chasing after the wind. That was exactly what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. My life had run smack straight into the Word of God in the Bible. It challenged me. It woke me up. It changed my life. Right? It changed my life completely. So I do still say today that although the book sounds terribly depressing, Ecclesiastes is still my favorite book in the Bible. Okay, okay. for this reason, someone had poured cold water on me. So, does it mean that we shouldn't work at all? Does it mean that work has no value in itself? So as I became a Christian my priorities change. The purposes of what I do and why I do them changed. I beside the, it, it, the focus became God. I did things for God. I did it looking to God itself. So, when we work for work's sake, it is unsatisfying, it is unending, it's like uh, you'll be constantly working, you know, like the, like the proverbial hamster running like that, and you are never satisfied. And yet the same mistakes keep happening again and again and again. All right? You see it all. I've seen it so many times, so many cycles. Okay? Recently, a few years ago, some of the, I was involved in the crypto uh, industry, uh, uh, and 
people were coming to me and talking about how high the stocks are, the cryptos are going to go and all this stuff. And I told them, you say, one day they're going to come crashing down. Why? Because I've seen it all before. And they kept saying, no, no, this is different. No, there's nothing different. Human greed and human motives have remained constant since the beginning of civilization. There's no exception. It just happens again and again. All right. Sure enough, it did. So when we work with a different perspective, we work very differently. We've got to look at work in a different way, especially as Christians. Work is important, you know. It's not work that is anything wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with work. Okay? So we need to talk about if we swapped our under-the-sun view of work okay, and changed it for something else, okay? working for Him, what would be that difference in itself? Okay? All right? So what would be different? Well, this is what we call the theology of work. Work itself is theology. Work itself has a, has a Christian perspective. And I'm going to share with you, okay, I'll share with you several points about work and why it's so important. I, I, I was aware, made aware of this many, many years ago when Elder Kuntai shared in SIBKL about the importance of work from a Christian point of view. So I'm going to go through some of those points with you again. First and foremost, all right, the work that we do, God invented work. God himself worked. He worked for six days and rested on the seventh in Genesis, right? Okay? God did that. All right? Now, work is not the result of the fall. We have to work not because sin came into our lives, but it work has just become harder because it's come into our lives. Work itself, there's nothing wrong. In fact, it is a very noble pursuit. Okay? It is more important than just earning money. On, in under the sun and under the sun view, where we were chasing riches, that was for money. Okay, money was the primary goal. Make a lot of money, you know. Uh, and but now, no. Work itself has its own value. <laughs> in my investment banking days, there's there's a. I'm, you see, I'm telling stories from the past. Also. In my investment banking days, we used to do things. So there was a, there was a, um, in Bangsa, Jalan Talawi tree. Now it's no longer there. That, there was a restaurant, uh, in fact, a, a club called The Roof. Okay? And every, every weekend night, especially every Friday night, all, right, all the bankers, all the lawyers in town, people in the finance industry will go there to be seen. Right? to show that you are in the, with the in crowd. And we used to go there and, and tell people, you know, okay, so you're doing which deal this, this, this month? Oh, okay. Everybody will not say, you know, I can't tell you. The guys from RHB will say, oh, we'll hint that they're looking at certain stocks. We'll hint this and hint. We were swapping stories, okay? Kuala Lumpur was a place where secrets are not secrets, uh, okay? Secrets become very public knowledge very soon. So those were the things that we were doing. Okay, that was what we were chasing off. Okay, uh, that's not work. That's greed. Work in itself is valuable. Okay, and Christians, we Christians, are called to glorify God to the labors of our hands. What we do, we glorify Him. Okay, through our work. You know, we spend. In fact, more many of us, we spend most of our waking hours at work. It's the biggest part. Okay, of our day, especially during the weekdays. It's there that we spend most time, most effort, all right, bringing the bacon home, so to speak. Right? But work is also a place where God 
can do his ministry. Okay? The calling of work is no higher than ministry or any other jobs. If you think about it, our Lord Jesus probably worked. He worked for a long, long time until he started his ministry at the age of 30. Before that, he probably worked as a carpenter because his father was a carpenter. If the Lord himself worked, okay, all right, who are we to sit down and do nothing? We must also do that work. And work is in fact a form of prayer. If we glorify him, we glorify God, we stand here, we pray to him, all right, we can also pray to him by the labors of our hands. And if we do so, our community and everybody else in our society will also flourish by doing work well. Right? By doing work well. So, for, for, to sum up what, where we are, where, what I was doing uh, as a young man, when I was working for work's sake, for the sake of money, for the sake of everything else, uh, that was seemed to be, you know, just a pursuit of own self-glory, uh, we were doing it for ourselves. We were pursuing it for us. But if you work for God's sake, we do it for Him. We do it unto Him. Okay? We're not doing it for ourselves. All right? We tend in the old days, I used to believe that we were masters of our own destiny. That's what a lot of marketing people, a lot of self-help people will try and tell us that, hey, you know, you control what you want to do. Hey, they would actually tell us that. And we actually believed it. We are actually in control of what we do. But you know, when the market fell in 1997, no one had any control over that. Capital controls imposed in 1998, that was when we, were, we then found some stability. Otherwise, it had, the stock market had dropped and we were in a deep recession. The recent drop in the stock market, anybody got any control? No. We're not masters of our own destiny. Destiny is in the hands of God. And we have to learn to respect that. Because the level of conceit that we have when we think we are masters of our own destiny, that's when the seeds of our failure are sown. Okay, is that. We were always going out doing work because we had this idea we need to accumulate wealth. Because wealth defines us. Man. Defines my position, defines my standing. The car I drive, the clothes I wear. All these becomes definitive of us. In fact, the end of the day, you realize that you know, we all have a fleeting time on earth. All of us have only a sliver of time in all eternity. Okay? We are here not because that we want to actually accumulate wealth. We are here as custodians of whatever God gives us. We need to see things from a different perspective. So become custodians. All right? And my relationship with God defines us. Rather than my ownership of things, more than anything else, Many of us think that, oh, where I work, my position will actually de determine who I am as a person. I sometimes think, I'm being very honest, sometimes think what would have happened had I withdrawn my resignation and gone on to become MD of, uh, of Padama Merchant Bank. I don't know where I'd be. Probably still in the world. Probably lost to God. I probably would have gone on that way, you know, probably had a lot of money, but uh, you know, no happiness, no contentment, no sense of purpose of life. I sometimes do entertain those thoughts. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I'd rather 
have my work be dedicated to Him and He uses that to shape me rather than I use my work to define myself. So, as a Christian, we, the, the, the struggles that I have, of course, is not unique. Everybody has this sort of struggles. All of us as Christians in a marketplace really sometimes, oftentimes, ask ourselves these very hard questions. I've been asked as a lawyer, Christians have come and asked me, say, Rodney, what happens if somebody at the town asks for a bribe to approve my plans? What happens uh, if, as a lawyer, uh, uh, fellow lawyers say, this guy has asked me, uh, hey, they actually want some kickback money. Uh, can you build it into the contract? What happens, say, if, uh, uh, if, if you know, these sort of things uh, require us uh, to entertain and pay people so that they get some benefit, then only you get your benefit? We face these challenges all the time, not just in terms of the way the world is but also sometimes in a way that we have to deal with our own workers and people. You know, we've got uh, employees sometimes you know, wondering whether, you know, what do I do with these errant employees? Do I just sack them? What can I do? How do I motivate them? You know, how can I run my business and my dealings with other people in a way that glorifies God? These are tough questions that we have. All right. in, in the Christian among Christian circles, there are many marketplace ministries. All right. I think one of the better known ones is uh, FGBMF, Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship. Okay? And there are other ministries around, like FCCI Market Leaders, the incubators, which are for startup companies themselves, and other workplace ministries in various churches that seek to give guidance to those of us in the marketplace. All right? okay? And uh, in SIB, we have a body and a group called Accomplish. This is our marketplace ministry uh, that we have in SIB KL. Okay? Confession and full disclosure. Uh, I am part of Accomplish. Uh, I am uh, one of the facilitators. I'm also a board member in the company. Okay? What Accomplish does is to help people, to mentor people, to mentor Christians as we journey through uh, our lives in the marketplace as well as our lives here in church, okay, with our family, all right? Uh, this is the advertising bit like, I'm doing right now, okay? I'm, I'm, sell I'm selling accomplished a little bit, okay? Right. And, and uh, it's uh, the leadership team, most of them, I think some of these faces are familiar to some of you, okay, are all mostly from SIB, but we have people from other churches too, okay, who form part of the leadership team and the, and the driver behind this is none other than Pastor Lee Chu, okay? who pushed this and, and actually brought this uh, to fruition. Now, in Accomplish, now, all the other ministries, all the other marketplace ministries have certain uh, principles which they wish to enunciate and put into their activities. Okay? All of them, uh, you know, just, just some, they're all about run around the same ideas, same things, same biblical concepts, but the, the words they use are different. So I'm going to share with you what Accomplish calls what we call the glory principles, okay? As Christians in the marketplace, okay, there are five key principles we believe that we need to adhere to. You don't have to be in accomplished to understand these principles or even apply them, but let me go through what they are so that you understand the different attitude that we have or we ought to have 
as Christians in the marketplace. First and foremost, we must be God-centered in everything that we do. If you look at Colossians 1.16, for everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank of angels, everything God started in Him and finds its purpose in Him. We find our purpose in God. Not in the things of the world. Not in the things under the sun. Which is what Solomon found out. Solomon had everything. And in the end, he just said, worship the God. Worship God. So that's one thing. First, we are God-centered. The second thing we have to be is as we go through life, you see, we must be loyal to the process. Now, church, all of us, okay, are not human beings on a spiritual journey. We are spiritual beings on a human journey. All of us go through life and God molds us like the potter in Moses as clay. We have to be willing to submit to God to that. That is a process that we all go through. Okay? There are times when God will put things in our hearts and desires and dreams, especially those of us in the marketplace, a, a promotion or new business or new contract. Sometimes He gives us right away. Sometimes He doesn't. He makes us wait. All right? That process is something that we have to be loyal to. There are no shortcuts. Certainly, anything worthwhile doing, there are no shortcuts. So we've got to be loyal to the process that we have. That's what L stands for. And we have to be obedient to the truth. The truth of the Word of God. That one is paramount. That's something we hold dear, something we hold fast to. All right? Secondly, we're also obedient to the facts that are before us. We should not lie. We should not cheat. All right? We should actually hang on to the truth because the truth is important. In John 14, verse 6, what did God say? I am the way and the truth and the life. The Lord was the personification of truth. Truth is important to us. If we dishonor, we disregard what is true and before us, we actually disregard who God actually is, who Jesus is, because He said and He declared that He is truth. Okay? All right? So that's important obedience to the truth. We also believe in a real spirit of excellence. See, if we do things, we do anything, it's a reflection of us. When I teach my young lawyers, okay, when they actually write letters to clients itself, they come to me and I look at the letter and I'm saying that your margins are out. Why did you use this word? You know, why you can make that sentence clearer, shorter. And, and my young lawyers will look at me in a frustration, but it conveys the same meaning. What? I say, no. You see, when I pick up a letter, I pick up a letter, I don't see you as a person. I only see the letter. If the letter is aligned properly, it looks proper. If the language is clear, okay, and it's written well, what is my impression of the writer? That this person took time to write this letter. This person was meticulous. This person wanted to convey his or her idea in a very clear manner. That's excellence. It glorifies. You see, you, the writer, all right, it actually reflects well on you. 
So as we do the work and dedicate what we do for Him, for God, if it is done well, it reflects well on Him too. So excellence glorifies God. And as we do well, we strive to continue to do so. God also used that to mold us into the best version of ourselves. Unless we continue to strive to be better every time that we do, to do excellently, no, we'll be stuck at where we are. Not so. That's not what God wants us to do. You know? And for those of us who are not confident, who think that we can't do it, well, I got news for you. God, Word of God has said, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. So, Spirit of excellence right, is one of the hallmarks of, of, of giving glory to God. And this is the hardest one to do, yielding rights. For us, for people of my generation, especially born in the 80s, we need to actually transit from ownership of all that we own to stewardship. Okay? What stewardship means? Okay? Okay, stewardship itself is a subject of a sermon of its own, and that one you can ask Elder Kuntak, he can give you a fantastic <laughs> sermon on what stewardship is. We only are trustees for whatever we have for our families, for our possession, for the money, the success. We only have it for a short while because everything belongs to Him. We're just here to take care of that. And that's the hardest bit of yielding up our rights yielding our ownership unto Him so that He can do His part and we can do ours. Okay? So those are the five principles that accomplish, uses essentially as our core creed, so to speak, in there. Right? And accomplish as a ministry, as a, as a parachurch ministry itself, also runs conferences. And we're going to be running a conference very, very soon. Okay? It's called the True Success Camp. It's going to be held in Shah Alam. And I want to share with you, continue part of the advertising. Lah. Okay, I have to do that. Um, share with you a short video clip on, the, on what uh, TSC uh, is. Um, you can register online uh, itself uh, and if you need any help in terms of registering for or want to actually find out a little bit more about what TSC is all about uh, we have Evelyn will be sitting over at uh, over there one of the counters over there with a barcode there and she can answer those questions for you all right in TSC we would we do TSC together with you see KBC okay the Kingdom Business Council they are from Indonesia okay they are a group of Indonesian businessmen who years ago came together and said, we need to promote Christian values in our businesses over there in Indonesia. And they are the ones that we come, they'll be the speakers for that event. And uh, if you come, you'll be blessed by people like Julian Fo, Pardos Bamba, I've heard them all before, all of them. They will share you what we call our process stories. 
Right? Remember what I said about that God uses processes to actually minister to us and change us? Okay, they'll be sharing their so they'll be giving guidance uh, for all of us in there. So uh, I will encourage you all to uh, come, uh, for uh, those of you who are interested to come uh, and join us uh, for that weekend. Okay, all right? Okay, at this stage, I would like to ask the worship team to come on board, all right? To come up, come on the stage. So, it is not just accomplished, but many other workplace ministries that, uh, and movements that also talk about and actually help us navigate this difficult thing about work and Christ, okay? Work and Christ. There is, should be no distinction between what we do here in church and what we do when we go to work on Monday. So, they are one and the same thing because that is our life lived completely. Right? While all lived to the glory of the Lord itself. Okay? So, as I come down and, and, and talk about, and as I'm as I, uh, about to wrap up this uh, sermon this morning, we just need to bear in mind one thing and one thing only. In the end, we must have faith to believe in this verse of the Bible. Paul wrote in Romans 8.28, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. This morning, I hope you all have been blessed and edified by the story that I told where I came from a traditional Chinese family who valued money and position above everything so I studied hard I worked very hard and in a very short time I achieved a lot simply because it was the boom days uh, of Malaysia and they needed people and also because I was fortunate enough to be given the opportunities to climb to the heights of uh, the financial industry at that point in time. Today, I want to tell you that a lot of things that we did then no longer matter. Southern Bank doesn't exist anymore. It was bought up by CIMB. All the, all the big Datoks and Tansris uh, at that time, some of them are no longer with us. They've all retired. Some of them lost their money, you know. There's one particular Tan Sri that I know that was sacked by his company. He ended up going off to China, all right, trying to rebuild his business. And he passed away, a bitter man, in his, when he was 64. All right? Many of these people I met as a young investment banker. And I carried on meeting many of these as a corporate lawyer. You see, uh, my then-girlfriend said she didn't like lawyers, right? So I, I was dating her as a banker. I asked her to marry me at that time. I was unemployed. I was surprised she said yes, okay? And then finally, I went back to law. So she could not con, all right? She ended up marrying a lawyer anyway. So I've been a lawyer for 20 over years. I've been a Christian for around the same time. And I can see that the Word of God has truth and value beyond what the world can see and what the world can share. So church, all I'm trying to say is the end of the day, 
it is God. It's about Him. It begins with God. It ends with God. It's about having the right perspective. And by that perspective, doing what we do at work in a way that glorifies Him. So work itself has great value, tremendous value. Right? Only if you put God at the centre. And believe you me, He will bless you abundantly as you go on. Okay? My wife and I have been blessed so much by what God has given us. Okay? And we can't thank Him enough for all that He's done. And He will continue to do so. Alright? So, church, before I end, I'll just say this. End of the day, whatever we do, okay, if we do it unto Him, as for prayer, you can never go wrong. You can never, ever, ever go wrong. Okay? Thank you all very much. Heavenly Father, Father, as we come to a close of this morning's sermon, Father Lord, and this morning's service, Father Lord, we want to rededicate once again, Father Lord, all of ourselves, Father Lord, all of our, everything that we do at home, at work, or at play, Father Lord, unto you, Father. Because, Father, as we know that if we keep our focus on you, Father Lord, we will not go wrong, Father Lord. That you will be there with us, Father Lord, to guide us every step of the way, Father. Father, you will also mold us, Father Lord, and train us, Father Lord, in the ways that you want us to go, Father. So we thank you, Father. So, Lord, as we stand here, Father Lord, as a, at the close of this service, Father Lord, we pray, Father Lord, that the love of the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit will be with each and every one of us, Father Lord, and for every family that is represented here this morning, Father Lord, until we come back and we meet again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you.